Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Of each of the five ways discussed by Thomas Aquinas in Summa Theologiae, first part, question two, article three, the fifth way is actually, at least textually, the shortest, and in some respects, the most attractive to certain kinds of people, but also viewed by other people as perhaps the weakest of the arguments that he's giving. And it's a bit different than the first three, which are what we typically call cosmological arguments. The fourth, you know, is an argument based on degrees of being, and it might be its own special kind of argument, but it is also causal in a sense. The fifth is what we often label from Kant's time onward, a teleological or design argument. It is beginning where the others do with observation of the world that we live in and experience and in which we see things happening. And it's looking for how things turn out and why they reach certain ends. Or if we want to put it in a slightly different non-Thomistic language, why they have regular patterns of behavior. It's not completely non-Thomistic because he does use the word operari or operantur, acting, you know, behaving is another way of translating it. And what Thomas is focused on here is not just regularity, but achieving certain ends or goals or goods and doing so consistently. So he tells us that this fifth way is based on governance or rulership or guidedness or whatever we want to call it, arrangement of things. Now, sometimes it's translated a little bit misleadingly, for example, here in the Blackfriars, based on the guidedness of nature. It is natural things that he's going to be talking about, but this, you know, could extend to things that aren't completely determined by their nature, like human beings, as we're going to see in his response response to the second objection, which I think is, is closely connected with this. The term that Thomas is using is gubernatione rerum. So gubernatione, you know, governance is a cognate with that. And rerum just means things, things in general. Now he doesn't say all things, so, you know, could leave some things out, but in the the argument, he will bring up omnis, right? So perhaps we should see that there. And how does he begin? He says, well, what we see, vidimus, in whatever it is, aliqua, that lacks cognition, quae cognitioni carret. So let's pause on that for a minute. Cognition, that's a very abstract term. Things that lack thinking things that don't really think like we humans do about what it is that they're trying to do. They act either naturally because of, you know, the way that things are. If we think about, you know, throw a rock up and it falls down, we say, oh, law of gravity. Well, that is operating according to certain physical processes, right? And we can say the same thing about chemistry and we can get into biology. We can talk about plants or we can talk about 
fungi or single-celled organisms. And we could say that they have a certain kind of directedness, right? But it's not like they're thinking to themselves, hmm, sun is shining. I think today I'd better turn towards it just like I do every other day. They just do it right? Bacteria don't think to themselves, oh, maybe today I'll do things a little bit different. They're, they're not thinking. They don't have cognition. Animals, where do they fit in? Well, it's easy to say with certain lower animals, higher animals. I don't know. Maybe there's a discussion to be had there. But Thomas isn't so worried about that. We human beings, according to him, are different. As we see in the discussion of the response to the second objection, we have intelligence or intellect and will, a will that is different than just a merely animal will, a voluntas, because it's actually capable of free and deliberate action. So things that are lacking cognition, what are examples of this? Natural bodies. Again, rocks, plants, animals, all those sorts of things. And he says that an orderedness of actions to an end. Operanter, they act, operanter, according to propter finem, in accordance with some sort of thing. They have a goal. They may not actually cognize that goal. Maybe they just feel that goal or they just act in accordance with it. And this leads to two things that are closely connected for Thomas. So he says they always, so semper in Latin or often frequentius, act in the same way. And the Latin there is eodem modo operantur, right? So they act in the same manner or the same mode is a way of, or behave is another way of translating it. So acting according to an end leads to consistent action. But another aspect of this that he talks about it is that they things turn out for or follow quite literally, or it, things work in such a way that the best, id quod est optimum, that which is the best, happens to be the case. And, you know, the best kind of relative, right? So let's take a bird of prey who goes in and eats, you know, we'll take the famous thing of the hawk and the sparrow. The hawk swoops down and grabs the sparrow or dove or whatever other defenseless bird you want. And it's got it in its claws. And the, the little bird is like, oh, please don't kill me. Don't eat me. I don't like this, right? It's definitely not the best for that thing, but it is for the, the hawk, right? The hawk is going to eat it and maybe feed it to its kids and perpetuate its own being both as an individual and as a species. And we can say, well, this is better for the ecosphere. You know, you don't want to have too many doves around eating everything up. You need some hawks to keep them in line. And we could go on and on and on. This is, this is a place where the argument could possibly break down, but we don't have to be hyper concerned with that at this point. What is the point that Thomas wants to make? Well, you don't get that kind of directedness just by relying on, say, natural laws or instinct by themselves. You need something that is actually going to direct them, right? He says that nothing that lacks cognition tends towards a goal, non tendunt in finem, unless it is directed directa, by some other thing, ab aliquo, that is intelligent and thinking, cognoscente et intelligente. And he gives the example of the archer 
the Sage Torre and the arrow. The arrow does not direct itself. Somebody's got to actually direct it towards the thing. Now, okay, this is kind of an extended metaphor. Is he saying that every single natural thing is being directed by something with cognition and intelligence in as direct way as the archer and the arrow? No, I, I don't think that that is implicit there. It's just a example that's being used to illustrate it. But there is a direction that's being given to the thing that lacks thought or intelligence that leads to some sort of good, reliable outcomes for it, which we can observe. So this means that there is something with some sort of thought and intelligence. And now he moves to thinking about this universally. And this might seem a little bit under-argued for you. And this is, I think, why it's important that we look at the second objection in just a moment. So he goes on and he says, therefore, there is some intelligence, aliquis intelligens, something that is intelligizing, something that is carrying out thinking, by which all natural things, a quo omnes res naturales, are ordered to their end. And then he tells us, well, this is what we call God. And notice that again, as with the fourth way, he's no longer saying, and everybody calls this God or everybody understands this to be God. He's saying, we call this God, right? So there's the possibility that maybe others don't call that thing God. Maybe they call it something else. Maybe they don't actually recognize it or understand it. Now, I do want to point out, so this is where we might move around in the article. There is an objection that's made, right? If a few causes fully account for some effect, you don't need more. It seems that everything we observe in this world can be fully accounted by other causes without assuming a God. Natural effects... Natural effects are explained by natural causes and contrived or proposed or intended effects can be explained by human reasoning and will. So we don't need to assume a God. So um, we could say that perhaps think about breeding, for example. Why is it that certain animals have certain instincts? I, I mean, now we're at the point where we could actually start monkeying around with the genetic code of organisms as well, right? So maybe we human beings, not in Thomas's time, so much, but in our own time, can give a proper direction to an end for things that are lacking cognition. You know, maybe we make earthworms that eat up plastics or something like that. I mean, we're in the realm of science fiction here, but we can have that as a thought experiment. And so we've got our laboratories and our scientists working on it, and they take the earthworms and produce a new species of earthworms that deals with our plastic pollution problem by going around and gobbling it up and, I don't know, turning it into something that they like or something that we like. Okay, yeah, that could happen, but that still doesn't account for us. And we're going to get to that in a moment. Natural causes, according to Thomas, are not going to explain the directness to an end. You've got to have some sort of intelligent agent that introduce those natural causes or structures or rules or procedures, or whatever we want to call them, that produce the reliability and the, let's call it, you know, best function of those things. Now, he says something very interesting about effects that are intended or contrived, however we want to translate that. So he says that natural causes act for definite purposes under the direction of some higher cause. Okay, so that's God. 
In the same manner, these effects of human will and reasoning must likewise be referred back to a higher cause than human reasoning and will. Why? His argument is these are changeable and can cease to be and all changeable things and things that cease to be require some first cause. So that's, you know, the third way. But we could also say, how did reasoning and will even come about in the first place in the way that they operate? Not just in their mere being, the fact that we have reason and will, but how is it that they are structured in the way that they work so that they actually have their own purposes and ends, which could include changing natural things or changing ourselves? Well, that comes from this some intelligence ordering all natural things to the end or their ends. And that would be in this case, once again, God. So Thomas is looking at the things of the world in which we observe some sort of regularity, some sort of fitness, some sort of intentionality, it seems, or uh, turning out right and saying, well, there has to be some sort of cause of all of this. And that cause better be the most intelligent cause, the one that others come from. So that is the fifth way coupled together with the response to the second objection. And what we get here is sort of a standard fair teleological or design argument. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.